We're going to continue into this sermon series that we've been in called Exiles, which is really a study verse through verse over the book of First Peter. Before we get going, let's just have a word of prayer this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we love you so much. God, we thank you so much for your word. God, even the word that you gave us just now, God, your name is it's so powerful. It's over any darkness. And God, whatever it is that we're going through this morning, we can bring it to you. And these are not just Sunday morning services, God, but they're a time when we can get together, when we can come together and learn about you and hear from you and worship you and leave here changed. And so, God, we pray this morning that you would just bless your word. I pray that it go forth with power and with anointing and that people would hear it and be changed and be encouraged and be uplifted. God, we love you and we give this entire service to you. In the name of Jesus, we ask these things. Amen. Amen. Alrighty, so we live in, Peter's talking about this idea of being exiles, right? And, and different translations say it differently. Some translations say pilgrims. But basically, we are as Christians in this world, but not of this world. We're called apart. We're different. We live in a cultural wasteland, if you will. Uh, and, and honestly, people, I think, and this has been heavy on my heart for some time, but people really are seeking like genuine, true life. If you have conversations with people, it seems like all the time it comes up to where people are talking about how they want things to be different or they don't enjoy this or they just wish this could happen or, you know, you fill in the blank there. And it seems like since 2020 and COVID, it's like this natural progression downhill. It's like week after week. Things progressively seem to be getting worse and worse in this wasteland, right? And people are longing for true meaning and true peace and true joy and true love. And so Satan offers this counterfeit type of love and type of peace. He says if, if we can chase these things and we get our minds off in these areas or this and that, we can experience true peace and true love. But really it just leaves us empty, it leaves us weary, it leaves us broken, and it leaves us enslaved to sin. And so as the church, as Christians, we should provide this spiritual oasis, if you will, for people to experience true life. As Christians, we ought to be that little place in the middle of a broken world where we invite people in and they experience refreshing. They experience renewal. They experience a true peace, a true freedom, a true salvation, a true love that only Jesus can bring. Now, to lay a little bit of groundwork just before we get, get going here, we're in a time, Peter's talking in a time where the Roman Empire is the number one superpower. And if you look at it, it's really self-destructing. There's a lot of fighting. There's a lot of selfishness. There's a lot of brokenness. And honestly, our nation today seems to reflect much of that. But, but even more intensely then, he's talking in a time where you have emperors like Nero. And I think Clay shared this a few weeks ago. But this guy was a guy who, in that day as a Christian... He would take Christians, stick them on a pole, light them on fire to light his garden at night. Think about that. I mean, that is absolutely insane. That's another level of evil, right? And so Christians in this time were experiencing a pressure like never before to where literally they could lose their lives. And in their case, that pressure refined them. It built their character, and actually the kingdom of God expanded 
And so when we today experience this pressure, really one of two things can happen. We can allow it to shape us. We can allow it to, even though it's uncomfortable, we can grow from it. We can expand the kingdom. Or we can cave to that pressure and go along with the rest of the world. And really, the posing question that I want to ask you is, how will you respond? How will you respond to that? Because pressure is getting to the point where it's starting to increase, I feel, in our time. Now, we're going to be going through, we're in 1 Peter chapter 3, by the way. If you have your Bibles, you can open those up. We're going to be covering verses 8 through 22. And we're going to break this down into three different sections. We're going to talk about culture, we're going to talk about suffering, and we're going to bring everything back home to Jesus and His example for us and what He accomplished on the cross. Before we get into the scriptures, though, I want to share a quote here in just a second. Last semester in our small groups, we uh, were reading through a book, and in part of that, the author talked about culture. And in particular, the last chapter that we, that we covered was called Cultural Renewal. And he defines culture, and uh, let's just read this together here. Um, John Tyson says this in his book. He says, Culture is beliefs, behaviors, values, language, intellectual achievements, artistic expression, and entire way of life of a particular group of people. He goes on to say, whatever or whoever a person worships in their heart, this belief will bleed out into the kind of life they build. Human culture becomes the manifestation of this on a larger scale. It is hundreds and thousands of people all worshiping the same concept or God, then living accordingly, producing a culture that expresses this central belief. It is out of a shared belief that language is created, art is produced, policies are enacted, educational curriculum is written, and laws are enforced. So when we're talking about culture, we're talking about literally everything we experience in life. Right from the shoes we wear to the music we listen to to the, the very curriculum that's being taught to our kids in the school system. It's all part of a bigger culture. And when we talk about this, it's really easy to feel overwhelmed, to feel like I don't know how to navigate this, especially as a Christian. A lot of times we just separate. Oh, I'm going to do my Christian life. I shouldn't really be involved in culture. And so it's really hard for us to understand. But I want to, I want to take it back to it starts with an individual. It starts with what you believe in your heart and what you choose to do with your life, the life that you choose to build. And then that starts to happen, and that starts to affect the family that you build. And before you know it, you have a community. And then it spreads and spreads and spreads. And so think about this as starting small and then expanding. And we as Christians have the ability to influence our culture. Now let's read through the first set of scriptures we have here. 1 Peter 3, starting in verse 8, going through 12. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. For whosoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him speak peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So in these four verses, there's a lot going on. And there's kind of three lists that, that are, it exists here that I want to break down for us. And really, we're looking at two different cultures 
And at the end, we're going to look at some promises that God gives us. So, so first off, a lot of times we, we think of heaven and hell as these two places that we go to when we die, which is true, right? But heaven and hell starts here. And there are two different cultures that exist in the world that we live in. The first of which is the culture of hell. So let's go through this list together. So the first thing it talks about is repaying evil for evil. See, the kingdom of hell is all about a dog-eat-dog mentality. It's me versus you. It's us versus them. Really, it's a lose-lose. It's this lie that we're all against each other, and when we do this... We play into the hand of the enemy who wants us to stay against each other. In fact, when someone does something wrong against us, our first response is to do wrong against them. For example, a few years ago, this is, I, can't, I was thinking about this as I was preparing. A few years ago, my wife and I and my family was in Tennessee. I was a Christian, so... So we're, in the, we're getting ready to turn in. You know the island there where they have the big thing? We're getting ready to turn into there, and this guy pulls up behind us. He's getting close, and he got impatient. He flips me off, and then cuts us off, and then pulls down in there. Before I knew it, I, had pull, I saw him go around. I had pulled in a spot, got out of my car, and was like Conor McGregor walking, <laughs> like in the middle of the road. I was fully prepared to like throw hands with this guy. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know, and he, like, he pulled right up Newby and then passed on by. He didn't stop. If he would have stopped, it had been bad. That's a, that's a poor example is what I'm trying to tell you. That, that's what you don't do. But in that moment, like, I don't, what it is, I don't know what it is about road rage, but, like, people get intense, right? But in that moment, I was like, no, not my family. Nope. Mm-mm. I'm going to show my son how to duke it up. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but... I, thank God he didn't stop because, it, on a, I mean, in a, on a real level, it could have got bad. I'd have probably, you know, I'm, I'm not the fighter. I'm more of a lover, not a fighter, you know what I'm saying? So it could have ended wrong. But, but in all seriousness, that's what the culture of hell is, right? It's this dog-eat-dog dog mentality. It's us versus them. Then also, return reviling for reviling. This is, when we think about this, it's really slander. It's des- defamation. It's, it's tearing someone down. It's destroying someone's reputation. And think about how this plays out in community. If I were to ask you about your work environment, a lot of people would respond in a way that's like, okay, my work environment is toxic. Have you heard that language before? I'm just in a toxic environment. And really, if you broke it down, I would guarantee that a lot of this is taking place. You, t- you talk to someone and it doesn't take very long to understand that, and that we're, we're guilty of this too, that we're tearing people down. And then others are tearing this person down and tearing that person down, and it's just, it's just slander. It, it, again, it's just a, it's, a, it's a bad thing. For example, <laughs> I've been a part of this, so this is, a, this is the opposite of that, right? I've been a part of this too, and, and you guys have probably experienced it. If you look on social media, you don't have to scroll very far before you see someone like going off on someone, right? Me and my wife, we came back from Africa in 2013 or 14 or whenever it was. And right around that time, it was, it was a heavy season. I was growing a lot, experiencing a lot of different things. I was angry in ways and then, you know, just trying to process what I had been through there. And I made a post on Facebook just talking about my experiences and things like that. And this guy that I used to know absolutely tore, he ripped into me. He, like, took my name and actually put it in, like, a, like a 
a little group that he had and was just saying all these terrible things about God, about me, how I just went on this vacation, and, you know, just, again, it, it, was, it was terrible. And my response is I sent him a message and I wanted to meet with him because in that moment, for, I just felt, I felt bad for him, honestly. And I wanted him to, to I wanted to be able to talk to him. I could, you could sense, like, the hurt that he experienced from, like, church people. And so I wanted to talk, and, and he never would meet with me. But, but anyway, we, we can become victims of that, right? Whether you tear someone down or you've been tore down yourself, it's, again, this culture of hell. It's, it's toxic. Number three here, a tongue that speaks evil. We're talking about lying, talking about deception. And when we think about deception, really we're talking about making someone believe something is true that's not actually true. It, it's, it's more of this idea of, of uplifting yourself and then tearing other people down to do so. Um, and again, more of the culture of hell. Number four, doing evil against God. Now whether you th- know it or not, there are people who literally mock the name of Jesus, who mock God and elevate the demonic. It's a world that exists out there. And if you look in the news, even local news, and you see like these heinous crimes and these different acts that people commit, like I listened to this podcast recently that was talking about child predators, for example. And you hear some of these stories and read some of these examples, and it's like when you hear that and experience that, you feel the weight of it, right? You feel the heaviness of it. And it's like it confirms the reality of a very evil presence behind the scenes. And that's what we're talking about, really, is this upside-down kingdom. That's the name of this, this sermon, even. As Christians, we live a certain way. The demonic, the evil, the world, they live a, another way. And so, it's heavy. But there's another side. There's another culture. The culture of heaven. As we read through these scriptures, we read through seven different things here. First is unity of mind. Now, what I want to say about this is, is unity versus like uniformity and versus defi- division. Now, as Christians, what we have to realize is that we're all different, but we're all unified together around Christ. I mean, we're, we're even described as the body of Christ, right? And just like a body has different members that do different things, that's you and I. Um, we, we do some podcasts here at the church, and I put out a thing uh, here a couple months ago or whatever it was and, and asked some questions. And one of the things that people wanted to know about was like ministry outside of church, right? And I think that's a perfect example of, of this type of unity um, type of conversation because when we think about the church, what I've realized, even being in ministry full-time now, that it is Sunday morning is a very small piece of the pie, so whether you're standing up here doing this or playing music or whatever, a lot of times the congregation feels like, what do I do? And so there's this pressure to like become uniform and just follow a mold, right? But God has called you, and he's given you a particular set of gifts and a particular set of talents and resources and platforms to use out in the world. And so it's important to remember that we're all different, and we can celebrate that. We can celebrate being different. And, and not divide over it. And that's unfortunately what you see a lot of times is because of small distinctions, even in Christianity, because of, of, of disagreements here and there, people divide. 
and they separate. And from the outside looking in, if you're an unbeliever, you see these Christians and you see 1,700 different churches on each different corner and nobody can get along. And it's like, why would I want to be a part of that? And so as Christians, we have to learn to unify and come together and keep the main thing the main thing. That's one of the most beautiful things I've found about this church, for example, is you have people literally from all kinds of different backgrounds, Catholic and Pentecostal and Baptist and Presbyterian, all these different things. But we come together, we unify, we keep the main thing the main thing, and we work through the rest of it, right? Now, there are things that we have an, an open hand with and things that we have a closed hand with. And what I mean by that is when you have a closed hand, those are like main topics. Like Jesus is God in flesh who was born of the Virgin Mary, who lived a perfect and sinless life, who died for your sins and rose again in three days. Like those are main things that we close our hand with and, and those are non-negotiables, right? But there's other things, gifts of the Spirit, for example, where people have differences and they see things a little bit different. We can work through together those issues without dividing. Right? So that's something to keep in mind as we think about a culture of heaven and how we're building it and how we respond to other people. Because we're going to have disagreements here and there, but we can work together at the end of the day. The next thing is sympathy. I love this definition. It's costly compassion. It's a, it's a compassion that moves you to action. Sympathy is... is wanting to understand someone's life it's it's you wanting to help it's feeling what others go through and and wanting to be there for them as they go through it next we have brotherly love brotherly love means that you lay down your life you lay down your time your energy your resources your gifts all for the elevation of someone else what can you do to help someone else number four here is a tender heart before we talk about a tender heart i think it's important to talk about the opposite of that which is a hard heart now what we've been talking about what we've been going through with this culture of hell and culture of heaven is honestly how we respond to people right it's how we engage in relationships and uh, and the reality is is when you're in a relationship with somebody you're going to be hurt and you're going to hurt people. I've hurt people. I've had to go to people and ask for forgiveness. And I've been hurt myself, and, I, and I've had to forgive. And so rather than having a hard heart, rather than being wronged or getting offended and kind of just cutting everyone off and, and letting bitterness seep down in there and take root and all kinds of other you know, side effects come from that, we need to have, as Christians, a tender heart. For example, think about family. My wife and I have been married 11 years now, and our relationship over time has grown, and love has grown, and we've become stronger as a couple because we've maintained a tender heart towards one another. Now, yes, there's been knockdown dragouts, there's been fights, there's been disagreements. I, you do something to mess up nearly every day, and there's things that get on my nerves, and we work through that, and, and so forth and so on. But at the end of the day, we have tough conversations. We forgive one another. We're vulnerable. We're willing to say, you know what? I was wrong. You're right. And we move on and we grow. And when that happens, that's when real relationships start to grow. That's when love really grows when you work through those things together. You have a tender heart. Next, you have a humble mind. I think humility, if I'm being honest, is, is in our culture in particular, one of the most difficult things for people. 
It seems like whatever it is, whatever conversation you have with anybody, if they have any type of understanding, it's like their way is right, your way is wrong. Or my way is right, your way is wrong. I've been in conversations before too where I'm like talking about something and in my mind I'm thinking, I have no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> you ever done that? But you're still like going for it. Because you want to be, it's, it's hard to humble yourself. So it's important as a Christian to be willing to listen be willing to learn, and be willing to be corrected. Now, on the surface, this seems really easy, right? Even when you hear a good sermon, like Cleo preached something last week. He preached, and I feel like he was talking directly to me on some stuff. You know what I'm saying? And we come up to him after church, or we talk after church. Man, that was an awesome sermon. I felt so, so much conviction. Did anything change in your life, though? I mean, think about that, really. Talking about prayer and fasting and spiritual disciplines or how you treat your spouse or whatever. Did you leave last week and do things differently? And so are we really willing to be corrected and actually change? And that, that's true, genuine humility when that happens. Number six is enduring evil and reviling. The fact of the matter is... When you go through this life, you're going to be hurt. People are going to do things against you, and they're going to say things about you in one way or the other, and you're going to face that. And so it's important that we respond. Listen to this. When you're hurt, when something's done to you, said about you, it's important that you respond to God and not to them. Are you hearing me? You respond to God and not the person. Now, there's time for conversation, obviously. But first and foremost, our battle is not with the person because we're all broken. We're all an absolute... Do you guys realize that? We are all an absolute mess. We are broken people in need of a Savior. And so we have to go to the source. We have to go to Him in order to work through those things. And lastly here we see, do good and bless others. When I was reading this, I thought of a story. Most of you guys know who Phil Robertson is, right? Like the Duck Dynasty. I started watching those guys before they became what they were, like before the Duck Dynasty thing happened. I remember being a teenager. I think I was actually at my dad's, and I was watching the Outdoor Channel, and I saw a commercial. It was like a shotgun commercial or something. There's these dudes with black faces, big beards, walking through a swamp, and I was like, that's exactly what I want to be when I grow up. So I'm working on my beard. Jesse helped me get my first duck last year. I'm on the way. Right? I'm on the way. No, but in all seriousness, I, I, I saw those guys. I watched them. They're believers. I, I looked into their stuff, and I heard Phil tell a story one time that I think paints a perfect picture of this upside-down kingdom, of, of building a culture of heaven versus a culture of hell. When he first got saved, him and his wife moved to, uh, in Louisiana, moved right next to the river, and his livelihood was based on fishing. He would run the river and set nets and lines and do all these things. Well, in his words, he called them rednecks were out there with them and thieves. And so a lot of times he, they would steal his catfish, steal his fish from his nets, which was his livelihood. And one day he caught some red-handed like with his rope in their hand. And so he says that he pulls up on them, gunpoint, catches them. He's like, what are you boys doing? This is my livelihood. What are you stealing from me for? And he says, pull over here to the bank. He said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you 
the fish that's in the nets. He said, you don't have to steal from me. He said, I live just around the bend. If you're ever out of fish, come by. I'll give you some fish. You don't have to steal. I'll give them to you. And he said the most remarkable thing happened after that. Can you guess what it was? People stopped stealing from him. Reputation went up and down the river and things changed. This is an example of the kingdom of God, the culture of heaven, doing its work even when it doesn't make sense. That's an upside-down kingdom. Sometimes it, it doesn't make sense to respond that way, right? Like who would catch a thief and then give them what they were trying to steal? Especially your livelihood. And if you go back, you see this work in, at a larger level. The Roman Empire, we talked about Nero, right? We, the, what we're talking about right now in the book of 1 Peter, these are crazy times for Christians. Fast forward to 313 A.D., an emperor named Constantine removed persecution from Christians, and it wasn't too long after that that Christianity became the main form of religion in the Roman Empire. You go from hanging Christians on a pole and lighting them on fire to that. Why'd that happen? Because of Christians, a small group of Christians, choosing to live a counter-cultural lifestyle and choosing to respond in ways that we've just talked about and the thing is, it works. It doesn't make sense sometimes, but it works. And that's why we as human beings have to humble ourselves and realize that His ways are much higher than our ways. Right? Amen. Now there's five promises that God gives us that are beautiful promises. I love when you see those. It's like God's saying, if you do these things, I'll do these things. It's a beautiful thing when you see these promises. And if we choose to wage war against the culture of hell, and build the culture of heaven, God gives us these promises. And I absolutely love these. The first one is to help us love life. If you go back um, to verse 10, it says, Whoever desires to love life and see good days. How many in here, by show of hands, wants to love life and see good days? Yeah. Amen? Amen. <laughs> It's like, that's what we're trying. I mean, we, we want to enjoy life, right? We want to love the life that we have and not be caught up in this toxic, tension, weighty, heavy, evil world that we live in. And so he promises that he'll help us love life. For the person who loves Jesus and has their relationship with him as a top priority, you can find true peace and true joy despite any circumstance. You learn the art as a Christian, when you're fully dependent on God, when your relationship is with Him, when He's the top priority, you learn to take on this, um, this attitude of gratitude and, and appreciation and thankfulness. You can be thankful for what you have rather than wanting everything else everybody else has. And that's social media, right? I mean, you scroll through, it's like it's looking at everyone else's perfect life and like you just want. My life's not that, so I'm miserable. You learn to be content in a good way. You bear fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, all those things. You see the beauty of God, and you see beauty in general, even in a broken world, a harsh world. And you carry with you the fullness and the presence of God. Man, that's some good stuff right there. You guys realize that this morning. That's what you have with Jesus. 
Number two, to see good days. Now this one, it hit me pretty good. Seeing good days has a lot to do with what you're believing and what you're speaking out of your mouth. I'm going to say that again. Your good days, tomorrow morning, Monday, when you wake up, is going to be primarily based on what you believe in your heart and what you speak out of your mouth. Now, don't get me wrong. We go through some really hard times, and there's some people, probably even in this room, who are going through unimaginable circumstances, and it's really hard to see good, right? I get that. But overall, we have to be really careful with what we believe and what we say because it really does impact the quality of our life, both internally and therefore externally. What you believe and speak with your mouth can poison what you see with your eyes. And we all know, you all know this mentality of just nothing but negative, negative, negative all the time, right? The best of the best could be happening, and if you're negative about it, it's miserable. And so it's important that you pay attention to what you're believing and what you're speaking. This is a powerful statement right here. There may be evil all around you, but in Jesus you have an unending supply of good within you. I'm going to say it one more time again just because it's good. (laughs) Amen? (laughs) There could be chaos and evil all around you, but within you, through Jesus, is an unending supply of good. That's where your fountain is. Okay? Amen. Yeah, that's a good word. Number three, enjoy peace. Jesus gives us a peace in this world that is not counterfeit. I don't even know how to describe it to you unless you just experience it. In the, in the most difficult times of my life, you know, the big surgery I had in 2012, I go back to it all the time, but it's, you know, one of the, the darkest times of my life. There was something about that season looking back on it where I just, again, I can't put it into words. It's a peace that comes from God that only He can give. It's not counterfeit. It, it, it really is a thing. And some of you are shaking your head. I, I see you, and you've experienced that yourself. In the middle of your darkest times, He gives a genuine peace. Number four, Answer our prayers. God listens to our prayers and desires to answer. Now, we learned last week that there's some things that can hinder our prayers, right? If, if my relationship with my wife is off and there's things we have against each other, that can hinder my prayer. Isn't that wild to think about? That depending on how you're living and depending on the things that are going on in your life, you could be hindering your prayers. And so when you're focusing on a culture of heaven and living that lifestyle, your prayers are not hindered. God hears you. His ears are open. That's what the verse says. And He desires to answer. Now, sometimes the answers aren't always what we want, unfortunately. But He's there for us regardless. And then number five, He will deal with evildoers. A lot of times when we see wrong happening, when somebody does something against us, or we see something awful going on in our world, we want right then, we want vindication, we want judgment, we want to see those things brought um, down, right? But the reality is we have to realize that God is the one who deals with evildoers. That's not our responsibility. Amen? We good? We good this morning? We're going we're gonna to switch gears just a little bit. Now we're going to talk about suffering. <laughs> now there's, there's different kinds of suffering. In, in, in this example, we're, we're talking about primarily really 
suffering as a Christian and standing up for what you believe in and, and suffering in that regard. But let's read here First uh, Peter chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Now, as Christians, there's two ways to get in trouble. You can do what is wrong, or you can do what is right. <laughs> it seems like a lose-lose, right? And what we're talking about here is, is when, you do some, when you do what is wrong, we're talking about when you do what is sinful. When you're doing what is wrong against God. And when you are in sin, we all know that there's consequences to a life apart from God. Now, on the contrary, if you do what is right, if you stand up for God and good and truth, then more than likely that's going to get you in trouble with the world. So throughout history, there have been times when people have been punished. We talked about it, right? Christians have been killed. Even today, there is crazy amounts of persecution going on around the world. People are experiencing punishment for believing for standing up and speaking the truth and doing what is right in God's eyes. And we're entering into unprecedented times in America, I really believe, where you will be pressured to either stand up for God and what is right or to cave and fall into the system of the world and, and the culture of hell. Like, that's really happening. And again, we, we hear this stuff but I, we were just having a conversation with a family member of ours who was in a leadership position, and she was talking about things that were coming down the pipe from people in big positions to where they had to do certain things, had to tolerate certain things. They couldn't say this, couldn't say that. And so what happens then when the government is putting pressure on you in that case? What happens if when your finances become hanging in the balance of if you choose God, like I could be fired and lose my job or walk away from that job. Or you could just be quiet, go along with the world, and keep climbing the ladder and, and doing the thing there, right? Now this is, this is difficult, and that's why we need to pray more than ever that the Holy Spirit would lead us and guide us and give us discernment and how to navigate these different issues that we're all facing. Because we can, you guys sense it, right? You sense the pressure, the increasing pressure of the world and the way it's going, and it's anti-God. It is anti-God. Now, we respond this way because of two different reasons. Two responses when you get in trouble. The first is they, the world controls your heart your fear fearful you're troubled and i want you to think about who's writing these words peter right what did peter do peter saw jesus and what he was going through and he denied jesus three times denied him 
And he's the one telling us here, through example, I think, would you agree that Peter learned his lesson? And later on, he obviously got to, to meet Jesus after the resurrection, and the Lord strengthened him, and he was changed. And he got to the point where he denied Jesus three times, to the point where he said, Listen, boys, when you crucify me, I ain't worthy to die the same way Jesus died. Turn me upside down. That is insane. I mean, I don't know how to like, um, do, you, do you realize you feel like this, was a, this is a real thing that happened? When you read these words, like this is not a comic book and a made up story. These are real men and women who laid down their lives for Jesus. And I wonder, again, going back to the first question, I wonder what we would choose. If someone came in here right now and it was life or death, what would we choose? That's a, that's a heavy thing, I know, right? <laughs> it's a very heavy thing. But secondly, so first we can, we can compromise and we can become a coward, essentially. Or we can let Him control our heart. Verse 15, again, it says, In your hearts, honor the Lord. Honor Christ the Lord. When we do this, we become courageous. There's a, a quote here I want to read from Martin Luther. It says, this is like, I think about like Mel Gibson with a painted face and like <laughs> William Wallace and Braveheart when I read this. But it's like, where the battle rages, the loyalty of the soldier is proved. Think about that quote for a minute. Because the battle is going to, if you haven't experienced yet, you are going to go through battles. The battles that we've been talking about and your loyalty will be proved. You're going to choose one, you're going to choose the other. You're going to choose God or you ain't. And so I pray that we hear this and we are strengthened by it. And we take on that like, you know, we love that story, right? The guy that goes against the dragon, baby. You know what I'm saying? It's like I'm going into battle. It's like when the battle gets here, it's like, eh. <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> we'll let, let somebody else do that. No. So there's five things I want us to remember here. Uh, we'll go through these. First, your worst misery often produces your best ministry. Your toughest battles in life, the miseries that you go through, the tough times, if you allow it, will produce your best ministry. You're able to, when you go through something tough, you're able to really understand what someone else is going through. You're able to comfort someone else because you've been there. And you learn from it. Just like Peter here. He learned his lesson and he's able to teach and guide us in that way. Your Christian convictions will be tested in life's battles. It's just a fact. In terms of sharing your faith, a couple of things to remember. Connect before you correct. A lot of times we go like, you know, repent or perish. Pick it, you know, I saw it in college all the time. People would come and just like preach hellfire to people. And it, it didn't, never worked. Like it really didn't. So you have to build relationships with people. When, when, when you know someone and they know that you care for them, they know that you love them, you can have those conversations and people know, even though it's uncomfortable, they receive it well, right? Live your faith and then explain your faith. Make sure that what you say 
And that's what really aggravates me sometimes, is people profess the name of Jesus, churches profess the name of Jesus, and their life looks nothing like the way of Jesus. And that confuses people. They don't know what to believe. So make sure that we're living out this thing. When you leave here now, in a few minutes, and you go about your day, and you go about your week, make sure you're living the way of Jesus. Number five, let the message of Christ be offensive, not the messenger. You can speak truth. You can be bold. You can stand up for what is right. And you can not back down from that stuff. And you can still be respectful, gentle, and kind. Did you know that? <laughs> you know that you can disagree with somebody and be kind and be gentle. You don't have to like go to war with them. It's an important thing to remember, right? And now we're going to switch gears one last time here and talk about Jesus. Verses 18 through 22 says this, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that He might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh but made alive in the Spirit, in which He went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey. When God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. Now there's a lot going on in these verses, right? And honestly, there's a couple of verses here where you could probably spend like an entire sermon series talking about them. There's a lot of different interpretations and this and that, but we're going to go through and just give you a broad overview and see what the Lord has for us. So every issue that we've been talking about, cultures and the way of Jesus and the culture of heaven and suffering for Christ and all those things comes back. Everything comes back to the life, the death, the burial, resurrection, and the reign of Jesus Christ. And throughout these scriptures, I know this is a lot here and it's kind of small, but these are some main points that I think we should take away from what we just read. The first of which is Jesus Christ suffered for our sins. Amen. We don't serve a God who does not know what it's like to live the life that we're living. When you suffer, when people talk about you, when people slander your name, when they lie against you, He knows what it's like. He's suffered. He's went through that as well. Jesus Christ is righteous. Everyone else is unrighteous. That's a, that's a good thing to know, right? He's God. He's good. Only He is good. Je this, I love this statement. Think about this. Jesus Christ is God who became a man to bring men to God. That's what he did. Jesus Christ's body died on the cross looking defeated. And Jesus Christ's spirit endured the cross and rose in victory. Again, an upside down kingdom. The very thing that Satan and the enemy thought that they could do to defeat Jesus was kill him. But again, it's, this, it's a system that doesn't make sense. It goes against the grain. In death... 
we are made alive. Through His death on the cross, we now have life. Amen. That's a good thing to celebrate, right? Jesus Christ rose from death to conquer hell and open the grave. This is interesting, especially the, the verse here, verse 19, going into 20, in which He went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they were formerly did not obey. There's a lot of different thoughts and uh, disagreements and, and viewpoints on what Jesus did after He died. Uh, I'm going to briefly go through this. But, but anyway, so heaven, we now have this hope of heaven, right? We sing about it all the time. Growing up in church, that was like the number one theme for most of the songs you heard. was like looking to heaven, looking forward to heaven. Heaven is. In this time, they didn't have the same viewpoint and the same understanding and the same hope that we have now as far as heaven goes. But it was made possible through Jesus. He conquered hell and He opened heaven. I want to read this quote here by C.S. Lewis. We have that up there? Yeah. He says this, The New Testament always speaks of Christ not as one who taught or demonstrated the possibility of a glorious afterlife, but as one who first created the possibility, the pioneer, the first fruits, the man who forced the door. And so we see this picture of him proclaiming to the spirits after his death. And there's this idea, there's an image you can bring up, Macy. Um, we talked about this actually around Easter. It's called the harrowing of hell, if you guys remember that. Um, we talked about it. And basically the idea is that after Jesus died, he went into Sheol. He proclaimed victory over death, hell, and the grave. He preached, proclaimed victory, and led out those who had went before him in the Old Testament, and he opened the door to heaven. And again, this is above my pay grade in a lot of ways, right? Most of us. And so there's a lot of different things to interpret here, but the, here's, here's the point and what I felt when I was reading this. There's a, we've been reading about it. We've been talking about it. There's a culture of hell, there's evil, and there's darkness. There's demonic that's taking place in this upside-down kingdom that we can't even see. It's a very real thing. And in the lives that we live, the one thing that we have now through Jesus is victory. We have victory over all of these things. The main point here is because of Jesus and what He did, He conquered, yet again, death, hell, and the grave. They no longer have any type of authority. Just like Caitlin said this morning, the darkness that you experience, the darkness that you feel, the things that you're going through has no authority over your life. You have to Sometimes when you go into battle, you have to know who you're fighting. And in this case, they already lost. They're defeated. We just have to step into the authority that God has given us and proclaim victory in this life. Amen? You guys with me? Still with me? Good, good. Baptism. It brings up baptism as well. We're going to talk about Noah here in just a second uh, too, but baptism is, is really this... It's what you do to make your private faith public. It's what it is. And it goes back to this idea that, that as a Christian, what you believe 
The life that you live, it should be a public one. You should be professing this. And baptism is that first step that you take to let the world hey, know that, hey, I've given Jesus my whole life. My life is His now. Amen? Yeah. And Noah's example, I think we can learn a whole lot from him. And I want you to think about how Noah's example parallels to exactly what we're going through today. God waited. He watched sinners for 1,600 plus years from Adam. And God chose Noah, and He said that He was going to judge the earth, judge sin, and flood the earth. God told Noah and his family to build an ark. And so for 120 years, Noah built the boat. He preached repentance, and everyone mocked him. Noah did this in the desert, and a lot of commentators will say that this was a time period where it hadn't ever rained. So the idea of a flood seemed preposterous. It was like crazy. They didn't believe him. They laughed at him. They mocked him. They did not believe that judgment by water is coming, just like much people don't believe that judgment by fire is coming as well. There's going to be a final judgment one day, folks, and we're waiting on it. But now, Jesus is our ark. And as believers, we need to take note of Noah and his family. They stood up for what is right. Even Can you imagine building a boat in a desert when it hadn't even rained? For 120 years? And preaching to people repentance? And getting mocked every day of your life? Think about the endurance. The ability to stay strong. I think we can take, we can take hope in that. And then what happened in the end? Noah and his family, guess what? They were saved. And so the same is true for us. If God can save Noah and his family, He can do the very same for us. And I believe that if we look through these scriptures, and I, I hope you took notes or took pictures, and you go back through and you, you think about the culture of hell, and you think about the culture of heaven, and you think about what you believe, and what you've been speaking, and how you've been acting, and are you, are you a participant in building a culture of heaven? Or are you a participant in building a culture of hell? And I pray that you understand this morning that Jesus came and He offered us life. And no matter where we're at, we can, even in the middle of our struggle and our mess-ups, He can use it to strengthen us. Stand with me this morning. <coughs> If you would bow your heads and pray with me. <clears throat> now, I don't know where you are this morning. You may be a person who has never experienced the culture of heaven. <clears throat> maybe you're, like we talked about in the beginning, maybe you're a person who is living in this world full of chaos and evil and you're just looking for an oasis. You're looking for freedom. And you're looking for true life. And you're, you're looking for true joy. And I'm here to tell you this morning that it's available to you. Jesus Christ is standing here and His invitation is open. And His arm is outstretched. And you can take hold of genuine salvation and life this morning if you choose to do so. 
And I pray that you would take that decision very serious. And I pray that you would accept that invitation this morning. And for the rest of us, you may be a believer. Maybe you've believed for a long time. And, and we all need help. And sometimes we fall short. Sometimes we actually, as believers, participate in building a culture of hell way more than a culture of heaven. So we all need a refreshing Dear Heavenly Father, God, this morning, I thank you so much that you're a God who conquered death, hell, and the grave. And you offer us salvation today. And I pray for those, if there's someone here that doesn't know you, that they would get to know you this morning, God. That they would accept that invitation and accept you as their Savior, Lord. And for the rest of us, I pray, God, that you would strengthen us to realize this is not a game. Yeah, we need to take this life serious. And what we're doing, the actions that we commit, the, the things that we're believing, the things that we're saying, the things that we tolerate, how we treat other people, how we act in our workplaces and around our family, around our friends, all of those things matter. And I pray that you would give us the strength to always be mindful and to display your character, God, to have humility God to have a tender heart to love our brothers and our sisters God give us sympathy give us unity help us strengthen us God we're so dependent on you this morning we love you so much for your goodness for your mercies I pray right now even as people are standing here that they just begin to feel your presence Holy Spirit right now come and just fall on your people. Let them experience you in a way they never have before. Let your word go forth this morning and sink down deep in our hearts and take root and produce good fruits in our life. And we love you so much. We give it to you in Jesus' name. Now they're going to play and sing in here for just a few minutes, but we're going to be several of us up here at front. If you are here this morning and you want to get to know more about you want to learn more about getting to know Jesus and accepting as your, as, as your Savior, please come forward. We'd love to talk with you. We'd love to pray for you. I think all of us need to go before the Lord this morning. So whether at your seat or around this altar, the invitation is open. But let's just pray and seek God together again this morning. Amen.